Today, I am really excited to have Sayantan Mukhopadhyay on the podcast. Sayantan is currently the general manager of Newbank, a technology company that is challenging the status quo to create a new generational financial services in Latin America. Sayantan first started his career as a software engineering consultant at Accenture before hopping into data science and analyst roles at Twitter. He started off as an analyst for global ops and then later became the head of sales analytics. He then became a product manager for their internal tools and core ads teams. He then joined Pinterest and became their product lead for their ads delivery team. And then after Pinterest, he joined Facebook to join the market dynamics team. From there, he joined as a product director at Newbank. Outside of these positions, Sayantan is also a guest lecturer at the product school and a mentor for Fast Track. Talking to Sayantan was great because I got to get insight into Newbank, a company that not enough people in North America are talking about, but is set to not only take over the Latin America stage like they already have, but take over the global stage in finance. It was also really interesting to hear his stories of how he bounced around from different companies, his thoughts on what leadership in those different roles look like, and to get some perspective in how ads are delivered in social media companies. With that said, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, Sayantan, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on and get into your experiences and especially get into your experience with that new bank. But before we dive into all of that, I wanted to get started with what brought you to the world of technology and uh, product building. So I think those are two little different questions what brought me to technology. Um, and as many product managers, I didn't start as a product manager. Um, I So basically... Just like quick, super quick, like I started uh, like after like a lot of people, like undergrads in tech. And then um, I went to work uh, for a company in India and Singapore for a couple of years. And um, I moved to the Bay Area to go to school in, in Berkeley back in 2012. And 2012 was a really interesting time. There a lot of startups, a lot of companies, a lot of like, I think social medias were kind of the rave at that point with like um, Facebook doing great, Twitter, LinkedIn, and like there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of social buzz overall. So what happened is like I ended up taking a few classes and, and Berkeley was really fun as a graduate school because a lot of work was like actually building some products and prototypes and like uh, getting rejected and then like applying for like lean startup uh and stuff like that so so that's where i started getting interested into um building things in terms of like uh building solutions of real life problems of things that um can add value and um create um jobs or create employment or set whatever you call it but um i after graduation I ended up going to work for Twitter, uh, but more as an um, analyst and data scientist. And after a couple of years uh, at Twitter, uh, when I was leading a like analytics team, we realized that um, just building the analytical solutions are not enough because uh, putting into the basically workflow of the business users is important. So my team started building like uh, some Salute them some small internal products. And obviously I didn't have a headcount for that. So uh, I ended up being the product manager. 
So that's my first like real foray into product management. And interesting enough, the solution we are building could be a pretty like a um, basically it's a sales and marketing qualification uh, tool and like process management and planning for sales cycle, etc. So there are definitely like few hundred startups possible in the market right now in that domain. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I was interested primarily into uh, that, I mean, taking a step back again uh, from the very uh, early on in my academic journey even is like how people make decisions and how we can uh, apply intelligence into making decisions. So, so that brought me to the, it got me interested in AI and ML and stuff like that. So um, when the opportunity arose to like um, join the product team, um, the main thing I considered is that uh, product people are possibly the people where the buck stops because they are kind of responsible for uh, ensuring that the organization is making the right decision. It's not their job to make the right decision, but it's their job to make sure that the organization is making the right decision about uh, the investments or about the uh, process, like the stages of development, the investments, so on and so forth. So I was comfortable in my role with like eight, nine people reporting to me, two teams, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. But I realized that it's not long-term like challenging enough for me. So I wanted, I literally told um, uh, one of our, like, I don't want to drop names because that sounds weird, but um, like our CRO at that point was that, hey, I want to quit this role and try this new role because in this current, in my current role, you can't fire me, even if I do a okay. I mean, I mean, I, I I will do an okay job, and yeah, you can't fire me. So I want to try this role because if I fuck up this product or if I don't do good in this, like making like building the right things, etc., you can hold me accountable and possibly you can fire me. <laughs> so that's how I got into product, and that was twenty seventeen. So it's like six years almost at this point, six, seven years. Um, and um, I was very clear that I wanted to go into the areas of AI and ML. So I ended up joining for uh, the Twitter, um, we used to call this revenue science team, which is basically the um, back end of ad tech, um, all the uh, AI ML models, marketplace auction, et cetera. Um, and it was fun. It was fun. A lot of interesting things from there on. Right. Right. No, that's that's so interesting. I've always um, I've also heard of people being like, you know, I wanted to be more responsible for the product and go for responsibility. But I've never heard somebody say, hey, I want to go to the product management because I want to be able to get fired. Uh, but I guess, you know, both of, both of them go hand in hand, right? Like the more responsibility you have and the more uh, challenges you take on, the more likely that if you fail, you know, that, that falls on you. So having that ownership is definitely a double-edged sword, but I, I think being want, wanting to have more, I think in that, from that perspective is something I feel like a lot of product managers or a lot of people who go from engineering to product managers is something that they share. Um, so it's really interesting to hear that perspective and it's a, you know, fun story, but I, I think it's definitely something I can, 
I can relate to just based on my own story and, and other people's conversations. And um, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And I think that another thing um, is ads is a very interesting domain uh, for many different mm -hmm. reasons, because especially like in a situation like Twitter uh, and obviously my next employers, like all of them were um, kind of in a B2, B2C business. Like in one hand, I'm talking to like the CMOs. On the other hand, I'm talking to like the people who are upset about seeing some ads. So basically like balancing these two ends of the situation at a, any given point, um, being in that role was really rewarding for me to like understand motivation, et cetera. But at the same time also mm -hmm. like, I mean, this is literally how these companies make money. So you have this pretty large pressure on you to like deliver and improve like the revenue or margin, whatever. Um, and so I, I think that I have been really lucky to getting into this domain early on in my, uh, product career and also like getting a chance to work with some of the brightest guys. I mean, this is a very interesting problem to some degree on a different end is like ads possibly attract and has some of the most like, smartest people in the business, but at the same time, like what, like from a, I mean, obviously an, inter, an internet runs on ads, so I'm not going to trash ad, but at the same time, something <laughs> I can't not think about is like, if all these, like all of my friends and colleagues and uh, seniors and superiors I have worked with in this domains of ads, if they all came together to solve some of the more like, I don't know, like pressing human problems, um, what would have happened? I don't know. Sure. I mean, I mean, a lot, I know a lot of people also talk about that and not, not to trash this, this realm of things, but like, you know, with hedge funds and, uh, and, 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 and quant funds, I know a lot of people have said the exact same thing where, you know, they hire the best of the best, uh, at least technically, uh, you know, to, to, to further their algorithms. But what if we just took that collective, you know, collective talent and put it into something more pressing? Uh, but you know, it is what it is. Of course you want your best people on the money makers. And so it, it just makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but uh, when we, when you go specific into, into some of your prior experience, but one thing I found really interesting is just, you know, you, you've pursued a lot of different areas you pursued a lot of, you know, you started off as a, as, as more of an analyst and then you went into product management. And of course, you know, you, you've gone a little bit from company to company. So I was just wondering, like when it comes to like finding out what to pursue next, what has been your sort of guiding principles and, and, and what has been your thought process? So, um, I, I can give a made up answer, but, um, and I can tell you that, okay, there's this like, um, framework I follow of like my intersection of like interest and people and who pays me and what my skills and so on and so forth. But I think those are two, some, those are not actually like how the stories act, like human, stories happen. Um, I'll tell you right. a funny story, but then I will actually tell you that what, I mean, how I, how I have been trying to approach the situation, uh, or, or these, or these moves. 
Um, one is that the funniest story is like I used to literally live in the building which was the backside of the Pinterest building uh, for two <laughs> years. And the people yeah. reached out to me and they're like, hey, this person wants to talk to you. Do you want to talk to this person? And I was like, hey, I want to check what they serve for breakfast. So why not? So I showed up for the right. meeting to like check what their breakfast is. Uh, and that's how, I mean, I spoke to a couple of people at Pinterest. Um, again, I think at Twitter at that point, I was, I was relatively um, uh, comfortable. I mean, in terms of, right. I think after you've been in a company for 40 years or something, and you um, be around with a couple of different places, um, you get comfortable. So I say, well, let me, let, let's try something. Let's try this place. And it's, it's um, not even a mile. It's like a minute. The recruiter reached out, just like, hey, do you want to talk to us? And I was like, okay, hell not. Why not? I mean, I can um, get, I mean, I'll try what their breakfast is. And that's how I ended up in the Pinterest building. And um, the conversations went well. I liked the people and I was like, okay, let's, let's go to this place. But um, I think from Pinterest onwards, I have been trying something else. I've been trying to uh, basically different companies that are at different stages of their journey or life cycle. And um, so from like Pinterest, I joined. So basically Twitter, I joined after six months of their IPO. And I was there for four years. And the journey of Twitter mm -hmm. at that point was kind of like a sinusoidal curve, like 2014 20 beginning of 2015 twitter was growing like crazy like the stock price was soaring we were opening office and everywhere um then we started declining and we hit like 14 dollar uh, stock price and then from there it's like a two-year journey to like go back to the level like a, like 40 or something so that whole journey of like and the post ipo expectations from companies um and obviously many companies falter to meet that. I mean, from Uber to like Twitter, to Pinterest, to Facebook, like everyone you can see like, and then there's a process of like behaving as a public company and getting more disciplined in your like financials, in your fiduciary, et cetera. So it's a different type of journey that you need to like carry forward in that. Um, so, I did, I did that at Twitter and I joined Pinterest a year before Pinterest went public. So there's a lot of things to build and a lot of things to basically uh, get to a point where investors found it uh, investment for the and uh, continuing that momentum to some degree. But then I could see that Pinterest, there's, it's, it's just a cycle that it possibly going to hit. And at that point, not, I mean, the opportunities I had in front of me, a couple of them were again, like either pre-Pinterest or Twitter, uh, or it was something that is like a much more established and big company. And I really wanted to work either in one of the fangs, not because of the label necessarily, but they have way more established processes and systems and tools and people. And I think all of those are incredibly valuable um, to develop myself as a professional. Um, so I really had right. an amazing opportunity to work with some of the uh, very complex and amazing, like complex problems and amazing people um, at Facebook, which was, which is amazing. 
Um, and then the, although my Facebook stint was small, I really enjoyed it and I really learned a lot from that experience. What I, and I think that my reason of moving on from Facebook to some degree can be validated by what is happening right now at Facebook in terms of how big the organization is and how impactful you can be in a, such a big organization. And right. so in case of New Bank, it's a very different story altogether. I mean, this company has like has been growing at an astronomical pace, um, has been and still like there are tons of things to be built fundamentally from technology to people to process to everything. And obviously I knew a couple of people uh, at New Bank um, who, with whom I have worked before and known before. Um, some of the product leadership, et cetera, were quite impressive. Uh, and um, so this whole opportunity of learning a different economics, a different domain, but at the same time, uh, the opportunity to contribute with the experience I have had in the uh, Bay Area tech or Silicon Valley tech to a different part of the world and um, building a group of uh, like a, a, one of the most successful fintech company in the world ever possibly uh, and hopefully a financial organization in the world ever mm -hmm. possibly um, was enticing. So, and that's how I pursued the opportunity at New Bank. And then furthermore, at New Bank, I started as a PM, like a product director, and we were doing a bunch, couple of, I was taking care of a couple of different areas. But then um, more recently, I moved to a general manager role. And that's, again, going back to the accountability part, the responsibility part is like, um, which is, which is very important to me personally, that how I am actually contributing to the bottom line of the company. And I literally have like right. PL responsibility. I literally have like people responsibility, finance responsibility, those kind of things. So that opportunity of that new bank um, I have is also very fascinating. Uh, and hopefully I can, I can make good use of it. Right, right. No, I think that's, that's super interesting. And I think, um, first off, I, I think it's very interesting how you got that Pinterest opportunity, uh, you know, living right beside it. But you know what? On, on a on, on a related note, though, I think especially right now in this remote first world, too many people are like, hey, you know, I'm just going to work wherever I want to and, and just and just go on like that. And, th and that's fine. That's totally OK. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I still think there's something to be said of being in the right place at the right time. And I'm still personally of the opinion, and that's why I'm here, that Silicon Valley, it, it, in terms of building technology, is still, like, if, if that's your goal and you want to make high-level moves in that area, then I don't think there's a better place for it. And I think there is a value of being here. Um, so it's very interesting to hear yeah, your, your, your story I, I with Pinterest. I agree with that. I think that there, 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 are three, there are few things. I mean, there are definitely, like, lots of papers written about it, like, comparing like Silicon Valley with like Boston um, area, et cetera. I mean, one of the, one of the seminal paper was from Anne Saxenian, who is um, the Dean of my department at Berkeley. So, um, but I think the most important part which I find in that, which has, which is fascinating to me about Silicon Valley is that the concentration of global talent in a like hundred square mile area 
And I think in our in last few generations or in the last few hundred of years, I mean, this is this is unprecedented. And at the same time, I think this whole yeah. it, it's a, the community basically makes you a much better professional. Um, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have my colleagues and my mentors and my teachers and my friends. Um, and I'm I'm super 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 grateful to like I don't know at least fifty or hundred people who have helped me in many different ways. Uh, so yeah, absolutely agree, hundred percent agree. For sure. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's a testament that the big companies are still here too, because for them, operating costs are, are still very much more expensive to be here, but they see that, you know, as, as, as still an opportunity to just like, it still makes sense for them to be here in the long run. Um, so yeah, no, super interesting. Uh, you know, that was just a small point that I saw there, but it's just been interesting to see, you know, how your mindset changed as I think, especially as you've gone different experiences, what you've been looking for has changed as well. Uh, where something like Twitter post IPO especially was very young. So I think, uh, you know, wanting to get understand how proper processes work pushed you towards uh, more of a bigger company. When you're at a bigger company, you know, now that you know the process, having that, you know, ownership and that responsibility on a level that a big company can't do, no matter what level you are, honestly, um, you know, that, that that's where it pushed you next. So that's super interesting to see and, and, and it makes a lot of sense as, as, as you as you gain experience. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, talking about new bank now and talking about your experience building a new bank. So, and I've talked a little bit about this before the podcast, but you know, I, I was looking into startups, I was looking into some of the new companies on the scene and I ran into new bank and the more I read into new bank, I was like, what is going on here? Why is nobody in tech talking about this huge FinTech startup in LATAM that, you know, it's just popping off. And, and it's completely grounded in technology. So it's not like it's not related to technology. It's a technology company in fintech. Um, so yeah, for, for our viewers, to give them a little bit of background before we get into it, Newbank's a, a fintech startup that essentially is revolutionizing digital banking within Latin America. Uh, it first came onto the scene in 2013, but it's already the largest fintech bank in Latin America, which is huge in the you know, in 10 years to be, become that. And it has over 75 million users and it's growing a lot, uh, you know, that 75 million users statistic that I got is probably already outdated. So, you know, super exciting work and, and I'm, you know, I'm really excited to get into it, but the first starting off, you know, when you think about new banks position in the market, uh, you know, what do you think really set them apart from other players in the space and, and, and captures the big so, user base? I mean, just to understand, like when new bank came into the scene back in 2013, um, it was basically the the story is like like as it's told. I mean, Davi, who is our CEO, um, it was actually a, 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 an, a, an investor with Sequoia, um, and uh, he had real trouble opening bank account um, back in Brazil uh, in his business trip, and he's like, okay, this this cannot be this hard, and it has to be simpler. And he teamed up with a small but mighty group of people and. They just decided that, hey, I mean, all this bureaucracy and red tapes we have, how we can um, remove some of them and bring the product to the people. Now, some of the statistics, if you look at like Latin America, I mean, is, is astonishing. Like even today in Mexico, less than 20% of the population has credit card. I mean, it's crazy to believe, right? So the what we 
Right. What New Bank has been all about is going closer to the users, understanding what you need, basically building what makes it an appealing bank and product for them. It's obviously um, had some first mover advantage, but from there on, like the all the like there are tons of competition in the market, but still what we can do better than the others is basically we are not in the business for a month or a quarter. We are here for building long-term value. So the way we have been writing credit, the way we have been building our customer experience, the way we have been positioning our brand, which is closer to people. And it's literally like if you go to Brazil, New Bank is a phenomenon. I mean, in terms of like, I have been to like Rio beaches where a guy is selling hat and showing me the card or um, I'm in a restaurant in Sao Paulo and the waitress comes over and they're like, hey, see, I have this card and I want the better card. Can you help me to get the better card giving you work there? So it's actually a product for the mass. It's not a product necessarily for a chosen few or the highest end customers, et cetera. Not, now, that's where we started. And from there on, what we have been able to do or what we are very disciplined way trying to do is how we can capture the needs of the users in five different financial seasons from spending, saving, investing, borrowing, and then insuring. So the whole cycle of the financial journey is something that we are trying to cover one by one and while giving the most advantageous um, value proposition to them, right? So I think the, our customer obsession and and something is like very inspiring and this is something which is i don't know i mean how many people do it um, on a regular basis like um even today like if there is an uh complaint on on linkedin about new bank hey, new bank like i've been defrauded or this is my extra charge or why i'm not receiving my card etc you will see literally David, who is our CEO, will jump in and is like, hey, can you ping me, DM me, and I will personally work on it to like fix it. Um, our entire uh, or a large portion of the leadership base at the CEO, that's like C-suit level, spends few hours every month like doing customer experience calls and understanding that how, what are their pain points, what their, what, what the experience, et cetera. So, um, and none of these things are done from a point of view of like, hey, we need to capture like more market share, et cetera. And um, I think all of these are like public in investment reports or our filings, et cetera. But there, I mean, we grew like more than 15 million users last year, 15 million, which is uh, a pretty high number. Like if you compare that to like any like, banks, not only US, but Europe, or even like um, subcontinent, et cetera, like the populous parts of the world even. And only like 25% of it was from paid marketing, rest all were organic or from members. So our customer acquisition cost overall is right. a fraction of what our competitors need to do. Um, and at the same time, like mm -hmm. we have been the other thing which is interesting, and this is um, very fascinating to think about, is that 
2014 to even recently, Brazil possibly had one of the worst recession and one of the worst financial climate overall. Um, this is not a market we are talking about, which is right. stable as like Scandinavia or even US or Canada or like developed world. It's a very like um, economically, politically, like a area that has a lot of, like sees a lot of ups and downs. But the resiliency we have been able to build in our business um, through like, I would say disciplined decision-making, but at the same time, like, again, going and learning from the customers that, hey, what do you need and what, how we can add value to you? Um, I think that has been the secret sauce of like, why we are like consistently ahead of our uh, competitors. For sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, it's very interesting. I think we've seen a lot of crop, of like a whole crop of companies come up uh, with this brand marketing that they are for the people. Uh, and only, it's not only marketing though. It's like legitimate, they're, they're legitimately putting their company around that. They're restructuring their company where you don't think of, you know, banking only being run by corporate entities. There's this new player that actually feels like it cares about the people that they're servicing. Um, and I think, you know, it, 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 it goes such a long way uh, in establishing yourself. So I, I think, you know, one of the examples I think of on a tendential note, but with, with very similar returns is something like Neo in China. Uh, Neo is now ingrained into the culture for a lot of people in China and they have crazy events and, and everybody talks about it. Um, and, even, and, and because of that, you know, even with people with a lot of people arguing like superior technology in, in a Tesla, for example, Neo is still the car for the people in China. Um, and so it's really interesting to see, like, you know, I, I, I think this new wave of companies are coming up that, ha that are actually focusing on the people's problems and making it a whole different experience that they haven't seen before in the past. Um, so it's really, it's really cool to see new bank taking advantage of that as well as start looking more into the people's problems and, and, and looking to solve it. Um, and I think, you know, even, even in the U S but especially, around the globe based on what I've seen, a lot of legacy industries, finance being one of them, really stood on their laurels for a long time. And in the US, they're practically forced to innovate to stay competitive now. But a lot of other places like Latin America or your, you know, your a lot of a lot of places in Africa, for example, still, you know, still are at the very precipice of that. Where they were a lot of a lot of financial companies were were being very stagnant, and now they've realized that we have to innovate in order to uh, stay ahead of the startups. So it's very interesting to see a new bank, and, and yeah. So, so one of the thing to understand is that uh, a lot of finance is basically about data, and it's like how you utilize the data, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things we have been is like how I mean what the data tells you and how you understand like basically like we have been able to understand the user behavior possibly better than our competitors. Right. So the way we could write credit models that basically was like the people who I mean there's a reason for the people who are unbanked why they're unbanked because bank feel that they are not valuable to the bank so they don't make an effort to make them banked. I mean. That's where it ends. Like, so, but what we have been able to do is to like write the credit model in a way that actually captures that what 
an actual like user behavior is going to be of our customers and our delinquency rate our default rate all of those are sub much lower than our competitors uh, and who are not banking with this, most of these people so i think what we have been able to do is to challenge the the status quo in that order uh, at the same time um, i think one other area and i'm I, i'm possibly mentioning about it because it it's something that um, oftentimes people don't get treated well when they go to bank and especially like if you're not a wealthy customer so the whole customer experience and being digital and have like same access as like hey i mean you are banking with with like say 10k and i'm banking with 1k i mean the same way i'm getting treated and what kind of value that um, like how i'm getting like from a respect from a like treating right. someone as someone not as a as a human not only as their what their bank balance is this is something which is significantly different than the regular banking experience most of us have um so i think that another thing have been able, has been able to like set the tone of new bank as something that the brand has been more rooted into people um and that has right. been super that makes helpful sense. and i think especially in you know places with high populace that's something you see a lot of um unfortunately but you know it just ends yep. up happening because of high population so very interesting to see that and i think yep. bringing more into the product management side of things and, and this product uh strategy side of things you know like you mentioned you know new bank is innovating across many different verticals and and you mentioned that five-step process um and so you know that's very exciting and and i think it's, it's it's really great to see especially with you establishing your own ecosystem in some type of ways uh where a customer can go from end to end without having to necessarily switch processes there but you know it, I, I think one of the one of the challenges with that is that when you are building products in different verticals, of course, you have different leadership and different um, and different teams working on the products. So I was just wondering, like, w w when you think about how those different products fit together, like, how can product leaders go about balancing uh, innovation within the respective vertical while still having products be one unified brand and being one unified front for the customer? That's a great question, and um, I I think there are uh, the two different parts where the unification possibly um, is is the most important. One is like um, how it's happening to me, um, and the second is like how I'm experiencing it. So, the putting it like more normal jargon is like how the product marketing or marketing part of it is working, and the second is like what my user experience is, and do I find that okay like this um i mean i'm using like this part of the bank now and i'm using that part of the bank now and what's that experience and the movement etc looks like um so if they're very different um so i would talk about two dimensions of it one is like what another is like how so for example on the case of what um what we try to do we follow a pretty standard process of product life cycle mm -hmm. in terms of like uh, reviews and like looking at the same kind of metrics and making sure that not only like uh, product success metrics in terms of revenue or npv and stuff like that um, but more of like also like product satisfaction score and operations uh, efficiency and operational like um, how many like tickets and uh, customer response we are getting like we look at like all of them holistically right. 
when it comes to marketing, it's something similar in terms of like how we are talking about the product and like how we are taking a more like an uh, an advisory approach to them in terms of like, hey, do this because this liberates you because New Bank is about freedom. New Bank is about financial independence. So we try to like make sure that our uh, product messaging are oriented towards it. Um, now, I think the part which is more challenging is like how that actually can be like integrated into the product development because, and that's where um, one of the things we have been doing for the last few years is to invest in the like more platform solutions that different, like all different product teams can tap into and use. For example, like the entire, like we did a bunch of migration in the last couple of years to move to a single front-end framework, which is again, uh, driven by the like back basically a back-end flutter kind of a uh, uh, framework so we every team is using the same component and standardized um, tools and processes so right. um, that's how we can we are trying to manage the what and how um, to ensure that the product uh, meets the, the, it seems like it's coming from new bank it's not coming from New bank crypto and this coming from New Bank Credit, or this is coming from New Bank, uh, like uh, we call it PJ, which is basically like the SM, SME account. Right, right, that makes sense. And I think you know, you know, one of the interesting, um, one of the interesting, especially with fintech, is that you know there's so many different emerging technologies and directions that you can take products. And you know, New Bank has sort of differentiated itself by doing unconventional things compared to traditional banks in Latin America, such as not charging account maintenance fees or draft fees, or not subscribing necessarily to traditional marketing channels. Um, but you know, there's also something to be said about things that just work, right? And especially in that market. So I was just wondering, when it comes to innovation, you know, we always, of course, strive for innovation, but sometimes unbridled innovation can be a little bit dangerous as well. So I was just wondering, like, how do you choose between things that have worked in the past versus things that you believe that you need to push the envelope in and that you need to you need to push on? That's a great question. And um, and this is, again, like an opportunity for me to share some of the fintech revolution and the fintech like uh, paradigm shifting things happening outside the U.S. and some of the uh, developed economies we know. So I will talk about two things here. The first one is something called PIX, P-I-X. So PIX is similar to the UPI system in, in India, which is the money transfer system. And it is actually like, it happens right. in seconds. So and it's a framework that the government built and the, it's a central network and the BASEN, which is the central bank, which uh, sponsored the whole project. And the point is like it's so popular that literally you can find like panhandlers in Brazil who are asking you to just pick money, not like like this is my <laughs> picks ID, yeah. picks me. So I think that New Bank was one of the earliest adopters of picks, and that helped us a lot to basically understand that how users want to handle their money. They want don't want to handle cash because of inconvenience of the physical nature of things and also like security, given that certain parts of the country is not necessarily super safe. Um, and that's for every country. But Brazil actually has a 24 hour like money transfer system, which works within 10 seconds, not nothing close 
nothing in the US come to that. I mean, even if you are, unless like, even if you're Venmoing or Zelly, et cetera, that takes a few minutes or sometimes half right. an hour, an hour, it's yeah. within seconds. So um, Newbank could take advantage of, or Newbank did take good advantage of picks. And that's, that's one of the reasons why we saw like a pretty large, um, especially, and this all happened actually, I, I mean, coincidentally, this all happened right before pandemic or right around pandemic. So a lot of like, value of like having this opportunity for people to transfer money without necessarily having any physical interaction um on a similar note another thing which is happening right now and this is not this this did not start in brazil but possibly brazil is one of the largest economy which is adopting it is open finance so open finance is basically a protocol where um all uh, financial institutions are uh, basically asked to participate and what you get by participating it is that I can, you can ask, I mean, I can ask my Bank of America that I'm participating in open finance and now you share my data of all my transactions or whatever I'm doing with all interested banks that so that all banks can offer me a more competitive product, right? So that is happening in Brazil right now where uh, all the part, I mean, basically open finance is getting adopted. It's all user-driven mm-hmm. adoption. Um, a user basically says that okay, I want to connect, I want to participate in open finance and connect my other bank accounts with new bank, and it basically opens up a, a huge level playing field. But at the, because at the end of the day, it's all about what product innovation we can drive, and it's not a and data is the key that drive innovation in tech. So open finance is something which is extremely exciting. Um, it definitely started in UK, but uh, the adoption and the pace of innovation possibly we're going to experience in uh, not only in Brazil, but we're possibly looking at the similar kind of uh, direction in like other Latin American countries as well. Um, and once that happens, that basically opens up huge amount of possibility for um, any r- player which is ready to play in this game. Uh, and I'm really excited about that opportunity and even like to learn and see that how that democratizes the banking space in a different order because now the banks have to like compete to get my right. business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and just for my own clarity, I, I've actually never heard of open finance before. So is it a, is it a, like a, is it a low, like, like if I opt into open finance and I'm Brazilian citizen, is it just a, like local banks that 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 get my data or how does that work um no you can what whichever bank you have account to you can like connect your so say you have account in hsbc or you have account in like and you have account in bank of america but sorry both i'm sorry american express um and say a local like say new bank right and you can connect all of them oh, like wow. you can ask like uh, hsbc to share your share share your data with new bank and connect your american express card to new bank only like all of these banks need to participate in the open finance right. protocol and the reason they possibly want to do it because everyone wants to get data so they can offer better product so it's basically like enabling a huge basically it's like it's creating like perfect competition um, from a banking policy perspective. Oh man, okay. I, d- I didn't know it was on a global scale. That's a, that's a, wow. That's <laughs> wow. The, 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 
the possibilities of that with that is is endless um that that's going to be very exciting to see and uh and yeah it seems like a lot of yeah that that's it's it's very interesting to see how they got buy-in from a lot of different financial institutions for that but uh that's very exciting yeah yeah, I mean, the, the what, and this is where you also can create value, you know, like, for example, one of the open finance use case we have been offering to our users is about overdraft protection. Like, imagine that you have two accounts, one is Chase, another is, say, Wells Fargo, and somehow your, like, phone bill is connected to Chase that you don't operate, and you are going negative balance. Now, say you have open finance connected with both of the banks, and you're going to Wells Fargo, and you're saying, like, hey, by the way, your chase balance is yeah. low and you are going to get overdraft. So make a transfer from Wells Fargo to Chase. So you're good. So that's the kind of value that those are the kind of use cases we are first working with and we'll, the users love yeah. it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, like I can off the top of my head, just spitballing after the information. You know, I think there's, of, of course, you have like you have competitive offers. Each bank could offer you based on that. You have your scenarios like that with the overdraft fees. One of the ones I'm thinking about is credit. Uh, like I know when I moved from Canada to, to the U.S., you know, establishing a credit score was a big issue. So with something like open finance, yep. there's probably a good way of getting around that. So, wow, the possibilities are really endless there. And it, it's cool to see that, you know, New Bank is, is leading the charge in Latin America and, and integrations there. But I'm excited to see what other players globally will do with this technology. Yeah, and, and the other thing is that this is another interesting part, right? For example, like, um the opportunity to like work with or with building some of this fund foundational technologies is something uh at a at one of the largest world's largest economy um level is is very interesting beyond like the fact of like um growth and profitability and etc like um so this this is this is surely like an like quite a different and and i think that one of the things is um i wish that there were i mean there are tons of such problems and the things to be done for in the populous countries and i'm not talking as like a righteous person or something but i think that uh, i i i highly think that um i or highly suggest that if you are working in a an organization where uh, which has a, a large number of footprint away from uh, in, in, in populous war parts of the world and you're close to it, I think you can learn a lot and at the same time you can create a lot of value, which sometimes is hard to do um, only by working on like the same economy or same area of your uh, own experiences. It definitely expands you as as a person as well. And one of the things we do in New Bank is we have a we have a work policy of like everyone works for say anything between seven to twelve weeks wherever they want. I mean their home base from like for me it's US, for my team like it can be Mexico or in or Argentina or Brazil. And then we all come together for a week uh, and work together. Uh, lots of planning, lots of workshops, lots of like some all hands. And so that's an opportunity to like um, blend and connect as well. So I have been able to like travel to Brazil a few times, spending time there, et cetera. And 
that definitely expanded me as a person and and taught me a lot of things, uh, which I'm super happy about the opportunity of doing that. For sure. It can be exhausting needle because you don't understand how far is San Francisco and Sao Paulo. <laughs> it's really far. I don't know. I think if I, I, you know, I haven't gone to Brazil yet, it's definitely on the bucket list, but I think I'd be giddy the whole time. So the flight wouldn't feel, the flight would feel very long, but for different reasons, you know, uh, because I'm really excited to go check out Brazil and, uh, no, definitely. Like, I think uh, what you mentioned there, I, I, you know, I, of course, like working on technology in the U.S. That, that benefits people in the U.S. is very interesting. It's very cool. But I think some of the best technology stories I've seen, especially in the last six years, has been from these high populous areas. So, you know, as close to me is, of course, the ones growing up in India or uh, blowing up in India, but Latin America and Africa um, and then in some areas in Europe as well. Like, it's just so cool to see that these areas that traditionally people have pretty much written off to some degree, right. As, as not being able to innovate in their own, in their own domain have really taken charge. Um, and I, and I think it's been a very interesting, uh, it's been very interesting for me to see this and, and, and to l- learn about their stories. So definitely, I think, uh, if not now, so that's definitely something I'd want to do in the future, work at, a you know, work on a problem that's affecting a high populous area. And, and I've given a lot of thought, even like, you know, returning, maybe going to India for a bit and working on problems that affect that, that general population there. So, uh, very cool, very cool yeah. stuff. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've definitely talked about new bank a lot and, and, and I'm, I really appreciate it. I really love, to, uh, you know, getting that insight into it. Um, and yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about more about your experiences outside of new bank. You know, you've, like I mentioned, the and like mentioned, and like a lot of people have probably already seen, you have a lot of experience all over Silicon Valley working at some of the biggest tech companies and, uh, you know, when they were at their infancy stage or when they were right at the growth stage. So one of the questions I had for you was that, you know, throughout your experience, you, you've you worked both on internal tools and external facing features. Uh, and, and I think, you know, as a product manager, everybody has their preferences of, of what they like. But I think even beyond that, you know, when, when you're catering towards users in, in a certain populace, there's a way you have to alter yourself as a product manager. And so I was just wondering, like, how have you effectively been able to transfer your skills, whether it be in an internal facing tool or external facing tool and past experiences into these different domains and, and, and leading new products? That's a really interesting question. And um, I will... Again, I mean, I only stand on the shoulders of the giants I have been close to. Mm. Uh, so one of my favorite, one of my uh, favorite person as a product manager uh, is this guy. Uh, his name is David Gaska, and David currently leads the privacy products for Google. Uh, so David Gaska, he had uh, he had a theory, and the theory basically is like. The job of a product manager is to ship and you use some of the core. So basically he had this like concept of like concentric circles. The core of it was something like product design, engineering and business, like some basic things. The second level of things were like something around uh, team and culture building. Mm -hmm. And the next one is like value creation. And the last is like shipping and like creating value for the users. So I think for me, that's pretty much has been the, like understanding why I'm building something, what will, what I will achieve if I build it. Like if I'm building a internal tool for uh, lead qualification, what my end goal, right. 
And if I am building uh, an interface that allows someone to take their selfies faster so they can complete registration a um, few seconds faster, what's the goal? So in both of the cases, there is an optimization function or there is an, um, like some kind of value I can associate that with. So I kind of try to like understand what I'm trying to achieve and work backward from mm -hmm. it. Now, definitely there are a few things which are uh, interesting in this process. One is that in some places you, you can experiment faster um, because you have a large population. In some cases, the experiments are slower because it's only a couple of hundred people who are using your internal tool. Um, in some places, the adoption is faster because you can go and make everyone like install your plugin that you have built and force them to use it. In yeah. some places, it's like a lot of effort to see that if users are actually using the feature that you have built or not. So I think those are those are definitely like uh, some more like features, not bugs of different types of products. Yeah. But I think one of the, one of my favorite thing to do is to basically seeing people using it in terms of like users test like the whole user testing like. I mean, old school user acceptance testing at the end of your software development is something that I try to do the, by stages and to understand that, okay, like, will I use it? Will I be happy using it? And then is the user is actually happy um, using it? Now, obviously there is difference between like stated preference and revealed preference, and I'm not getting into the bias correction of those two. But for me, at the end of the day, understanding what why I'm doing it, uh, understanding what the user wants and if the user actually gonna use my product and not, and then like build iteratively and experiment, experiment, experiment. Right. Um, rather than building the, trying to build the most shiniest object in the room that no one wants to use. Right, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And uh, it's funny, I, when, you, when you mentioned for, like you install an extension and you force your users to use it, I've. The reason I laughed is because I've seen that scenario so many times and it's just such a interesting, especially if it's an internal tool. Um, if it's an external yeah. tool, you'll see whatever outrage you'll see, but especially when it's an internal tool, you'll get like messages going directly to you. Like, what is happening? What are you doing? Why is this there? Um, and and hopefully if you did a good job, like two or three weeks later, they'll appreciate what you built, but it's just so funny that like first week yeah, or two I, weeks. I can tell you, I some awful tools as well, like internal tools that, I made people use it, and then, <laughs> I mean, I I after the after like when that was built, and I was like, I am never going to do it again. So, uh, I, I distinctly remember my team built a a contact correction tool. So basically, like we had this like thousands of connects like contacts from. So for example, say for Twitter had this like business with let's say. It never existed, but let's for fun take of it, like had business with Tesla. And they say there are like 70 people from Tesla is in our contact book and 30 of them have left the company and 20 of them are still active and whatever, blah, blah, blah. So my team built a small tool to like do that correction. But it was a very poorly built tool and we could do all of that in inside Salesforce itself. We didn't need a new tool, but given some executive wanted a new tool, we just built a new tool and we force people to use it. Uh, so anyways, yeah. everyone has those. Studies. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've definitely been there. And typically when those when those products release or even when I'm working on it, that's when I'm like, you know what? I think it's time for a change. I think, <laughs> I think it's time to explore the ocean, see what, what else is out there. Uh, because it can be really brutal, especially, you know, when you're a product manager and you're really putting your soul into it, in, into like, you know, creating something. But you don't like you just know it's or dead on release. It's 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 brutal. So um, no, that's that's definitely very interesting, and it's it's good to hear about the only one who, who experiences that sometimes. So, um, but yeah, no, I think um, that that that's very exciting, and very interesting. That one, and this is I guess is useful for regardless. Mm-hmm. I I am a big believer of failing fast. So rather than like understanding with like. Little by little by little is like rather than death by like thousands cut. I'm more like of a camp of like let's try, let's go all in. If you'll find out that if it works, if it doesn't work, and we pivot. So that that's my philosophy normally, rather than like, um, and I'm mentioning this because you mentioned about this like yeah, this failure situation. Mm-hmm. Um, faster you can identify that you're most likely gonna fail faster you will try to either save that or change it. And I think that's very valuable. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of scenarios where V1 sort of was done and released, but V2, if you can get around to V2 is, is, is you know, a crazy product. Like it, it's, it's a huge product. So you never know. Uh, you never know what you can do from those lessons from failures. So yeah, I think, you know, moving on, I, uh, before I let you go, just I wanted to talk about your your time at the ads teams uh, at, at the several yeah. social media platforms. And, you know, you worked at Twitter, you worked at Pinterest uh, and, and, and at a time where I would classify it as some of their biggest time of growth, especially in 2012. It feels like we were at the the precipice of, of really exponential growth and, and these platforms becoming huge. So I was just wondering, like, when when you were working over there and 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 you're working on defining different products, you know what were some important trends and developments that you saw shaping advertising at the time, and 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 how do you think you tried capitalizing on them? So, I think I think a few things. Um, one is. Let me let me like make sure that I hit the most important ones. Um, so if you see like the overall the main few things happened in the ads apart from the like macroeconomic move towards like digital business and like every year you could see like the decline of the traditional media and then the like this thing. Till like a couple of years back, you would see this like reports of like um, TV budget is decreasing and digital budget is increasing, and this is kind of current shift. And so I think that news is like not anymore. Like everyone is like, okay, I mean, whatever, like everything is digital. Who cares? Like <laughs> who is advertising on TV? Who watches TV? Right. Um, there's, I think you, you remember maybe this whole time of like card cutters and then there's like the moving from like newspaper to like take what's the parallel like so there's a like a lot of this kind of um thought pieces would come off from like different media outlets all the time and um but i think there were i would say there are two main drivers of this situation that that, that helped it one is that um 
definitely like retargeting advertisement, mm-hmm. knowing that who like the basically digital footprinting of the user and then target them with like the hey, you left it here, you checked it here, do you want to buy it? Do you want to buy it? Do you want to buy it? So this whole retargeting was a was was a huge thing, uh, and the second thing was basically being able to capture some of the uh, production level imp- like implementation of machine learning algorithms for personalization right. and ranking. Um, so I would say like those two things were huge, huge drivers um, from a fundamental perspective of like why that uh, like astronomic surge or this, this overtake happened. But if you say that um, the main changes, I mean, on later on, I think same vein, I think the the most important one possibly in the last couple of years happened is that the direction towards privacy. And from iOS 14.5 to GDPR, GDPR, iOS 14.5, later on, like every country, the CCPA, this whole like, hey, like rampant digital footprinting is not okay. Like you yeah. users and their consent and their data matters. So I think that it's that's kind of the the most interesting shift which has happened. Um, but at the same time, I think the perception of privacy has also changed in the last couple of years, where um, I think the I think the reservation of like how much people thought of that that their their privacy and their data etc matter, I think that has reduced uh, quite a bit because of some of these tools. But it's also like people have become more comfortable with like leaving a first vast, vast amount of digital footprint and just coming to live with the fact that okay people know where I am and what I do. I mean it's not so shocking anymore. But I can tell you how far I know like no device actually listens to you and then translates <laughs> that to your digital ad speed. It doesn't happen. Right. Um, um, it's a statistically uh, plausible uh, like event that occurs sometimes by accident. It's not like, an, uh, like Alexa is listening to you and then showing you ads on Amazon when you're on Amazon Prime or something like that. It, that, that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So, I, I've seen enough. I've seen enough. I've seen enough moments of it, though. But no, I, of course, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I, I, I mean, honestly, like how many potentially big brands or big spenders at any given point, um, like advertising substantially that um, that can be shown. So, any case, I think. I mean, uh, taking a step back on the ad side of things, I think. To me, those two were big uh, waves. But more recently, I think what we are seeing that um, ads are basically the whole shopping ads and the retail ads, I think that's a, a huge new frontier um, along in on like Google shopping ads or Facebook shopping ads. And then within Amazon, the whole like that frontier is just going to grow and grow because uh, if you cannot digital footprint people based on their like retargeting, but shopping is the place where you know that the most like 
high uh, confidence intent of the user right. and your conversion rates are possibly going to be much better, et cetera. Right. Um, and the last thing is that um, I think the creator economy uh, has, I have seen like a like, lot of interesting events, like uh, for example, like Twitter doing NFL live streaming in 2016, that was the first like live streaming happening on any social media um, from like thousands of creators on Pinterest. Uh, definitely Facebook was a very different league than to like, um, obviously like uh, WeChat and Baidu and et cetera, like the whole social marketing, et cetera. And that in, in China and obviously like in Korea and it's going to like, it's just becoming adopted everywhere. Um, I think the whole, I mean, we don't know, to be honest, that like how how scalable, et cetera, that is because it's still quite a long tail of, of any such, uh, like this creator economy, similar to any such business. But I, I think the next immediate frontier seems like shopping plus retail ads, et cetera, uh, right. that's, that's going to be relevant for the next couple of years. Um, right. So that, that's my guess. Right. That makes sense. No, I think, and, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, it'll be interesting how the companies compete. I mean, of course you have government crackdowns on, on privacy and, uh, you also have the device manufacturers now, like I, Apple always makes it such a big deal every time they hold an event of privacy. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic like formula uh, shifts in the, in the future, um, especially as everybody's going into more digital services. Um, you know, like I mentioned the Apple example, uh, you know, they, they always take the stance on privacy, but at the same time, they still have personalization on the app store and their own services. So um, every company is going to have to really, it's, it's going to shift a lot, I think, especially as, you know, EU and, 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 and just the government step in as well. So uh, it's, it's going to be a very interesting space. And um, I think, I think I mean, uh, it's it, yeah. at the same time, what you will see possibly like every, like from Uber to Instacart to like DoorDash to everyone is investing a ton in ads because I mean, ads is the most profitable, scalable business at the end of the day. So you will see like more and more like publishers uh, in the established apps, uh, like no matter like which domain you're talking about from like Spotify to I don't know, like, in, I mean, obviously like anything. Um, so it's, it's going to be, I mean, I think ads is not going to go away simple right. and in terms of like, um, and at the same time, like personally identifiable, like being able to identify exactly this person bought this item here at this price, hence I can retarget this person with that, like that whole, like data heaven in of 2016, 17, 18, I think that is not going to come back. So there has to be <laughs> a lot of investment in this area of technology. So the, all the publishers can claim that they have like, uh, causally contributed to the conversion and can take um, credit for it. So that will have, I mean, those are the new areas of technology, like privacy preserving technologies, et cetera, that is going to get a lot of investment. Um, 
So yeah, I mean that those are the things I guess will be interesting to see in the next couple of years. Perfect. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And um, and yeah, just wrapping up now. Uh, last question I have before you know, I or second last question I have is you know w- what is a book that you recommend reading or us checking out? Um, I'm trying to talk about a book which is uh, very. I mean, I think it's very well known. At the same time, I think every everyone should consider reading if you're in product or tech or something. And the book is uh, Thinking Fast and Slow from Daniel Kahneman. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a very, very, very foundational book to understand that at the end of the day, we are building things or we are dealing with or we are individually irrational people who cannot make statistically correct rational decisions. And we are driven by emotion, fear, greed, um, mm-hmm. longing, uh, all the scenes, etc. And being able to logically m- make correct decision is not a strength that is uh, that we have. So knowing those limitations, how we can uh, build things and create value is, I think, is valuable. So. I was thinking about this question since you shared some of the topics with me in the past, but um, that's a book I would say that uh, you should consider checking. And if it, it's a it's a long book, it's a, like 30, 40 chapters, but there's some right. videos if you want to check. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's super interesting. And I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, one, one of the things people who are technical fall into um, and, 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 you know, myself included, is we get so caught up in the technicalities of like how fast things are running or, 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 you know, we just, we just get very caught up in the technical realm of things that we don't, uh, you know, think about the more uh, soft, soft um, things that can't just be measured, right? Those, those soft areas. Uh, but that is fundamentally what makes products. Um, so as a product manager, it's essential in your job. And even as some in engineer or anywhere, I think it's something that you should be considering. Um, so yeah, no, I think I'll definitely check out that book. I, I haven't actually gotten around to it yet. So, um, definitely we'll make sure to do that. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing that one. And the last question I have before I let you go is what are the next steps for you and new bank? What can we look forward to? Next step for me, um, possibly my next vacation. Um, but on a, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's, I mean, I think we have a, quite a few interesting things we are working on. Um, also that. And the whole world is going through possibly a really interesting time of like getting in terms with chat GPT and um, mid journey. And um, I just like was looking at the one other applications today, which can generate like um, more uh, like the co- lexica, which can generate like fashion uh, design. Like it's basically can generate like fashion designer level, like ideas, etc. So um, that, I think yeah. it will be, I'm, I'm interesting. I'm, I'm, we, are, we are exploring some of these opportunities. Um, so that's something I'm excited about that what we can build using these new technological uh, advancements for our users. Okay, no, that's super exciting to see. And uh, I mean, you guys are already leading in innovation in LATAM. So, uh, you know, of course, after LATAM comes the world. So hopefully you guys can continue on your trajectory. Thank you. Um, but yeah, no, let, let's see what happens. I think uh, every company, every startup and big company is going to start incorporating AI technologies on a much bigger scale than they have in the past. 
um so it, it's not only you know you guys are new bank i think every other company is also going to release something along those lines but the implementation will be such a big deal about it so i'm sure under your guidance the implementation will be great and i'm excited to see that um thank but you. yeah thank you so much Sayantan, for coming on the podcast thank i really you. enjoyed talking to you about this and uh yeah thank you david for having me and um it was super fun talking about my stories and um yeah i mean let's let's keep in touch Perfect. Well, for anybody listening, thank you so much and see you in the next episode. Thank you.